0: In a world where I'm going to uh, welcome to uh, the myths and I don't remember what my podcast is called, but it's something like myths and other things that are really related to myths, closely related to myths, myths and truths. Ooh, no, those are what you would call contrastive. I don't know, it's myths and something, I think. Anyway, I'm Sam Harris. This is Sam Harris. Just a few house cleaning items. I'm not Sam Harris. Ignore the contradiction. And if you're tempted to be... disturbed or emotionally upset by contradictions, just keep in mind that I may well get defenestrated before the end of the hour. I'm not Sam Harris. And I am... I don't know, you know, for me... Coming up with really interesting things to say on this podcast is a real pain in the ass. I do have thoughts from time to time. One thought that I have been, really has been inspired by a book that I've been reading. It's certainly not sui generous, unique, or original. Um, you know, I certainly didn't give birth to it. I'm just finding different ways of saying the same thing. I'm a writer, man. That's what I do. Um, yeah, one thing. So I'm reading Kate Crawford's excellent book. And by the way, she never emailed me back, although it went to her info at Kate Crawford because she's too important, actually. But I kind of get it. Although the thing is, though, <laughs> I'm in the club, Kate. Like my book is selling at least as well as yours, so you know, like you, you don't like. I have crazy people email me too. Some guy sent me eight pages of a Word document about his ruminations about AI going all the way back to Searle's Chinese Room experiment, and I was just, well, frankly, I didn't read it, and I hope that he never listens to this podcast because I would never want to hurt his feelings because he seems like a very well-meaning and I'm sure he's very smart and all that other stuff. But I get that too. And then I get strange guys on LinkedIn that say that I changed their lives and everything. And I get CEOs of companies that tell me that we should catch up sometime and shoot the shit. The guy that reviewed my book for the New Atlantis or something emailed me, which was nice. Forget his name now; he has a long last name like Wallenberger or something. But he interestingly is starting a it's something like AI culture and something in, in in Portugal, and he's connected to the Catholic University. Last thing I need is my woke neighbors bothering me. Hey, go bother someone else. Go bother a white supremacist that's not even a white supremacist. Leave me the fuck alone. You fucking judgmental pelicans. I share a wall with them. They're okay. No, they're not okay. Actually, he's made a... Since he realized... (laughs) Speaking of this whole thing with the book, he's a... They seem to me like they're like third graders, personally. But, you know, I don't know. I'm old. But he's—he's—he shall remain nameless, and even I shouldn't even mention his department because who knows if this ever—who would ever listen to my podcast? But he is a technically like an associate professor at the university, and I just like I just marvel at how somebody could have slid into that title while managing to present. (laughs) <laughs> as he does, right? But he late, like I noticed lately, very recently, after what can only be described as the equivalent of a playground brushing off or social banishment that would could only occur to somebody that had not quite reached the level of a fifth grade maturity. Just slightly, I mean, just like like I had, I I somehow had gotten socially shunned from there incredibly, you know, brittle and unworthy of being involved in the first place world, which still kind of hurt, right? Because it's like, oh, these two fucking, you know, you know, ridiculous nappy headed. Well, they're not nappy headed. I don't even know what that means. These two ridiculous people that teach at the university have decided that I don't have the right set of ideas somehow, and then they just kind of—it was really—it was really quite interesting how, like that, just kind of spiraled into this general, like suddenly there was just this thing about I—I'd I'd become kind of somehow a bad neighbor as well. There were just these weird moments where I was walking by and she would just, just really just contort painfully to avoid making eye contact with me and I was thinking I really actually never did anything like it was really really it was really quite it was it was itself a kind of social of extreme social interest how 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 ostensibly mature and intelligent people could actually act that way on such scant really non-existent social basis right so But nonetheless, like, I gave him, so what I did was, you know, very, very (laughs) passive-aggressively, of course, gave him a copy of my book when it came out, and he, you know, he, I'm sure he hasn't read it, but it probably did, you know, have the desired effect anyway, because he probably stared at it long enough and read the back cover where he was like, "Mm, you know, Hey, um, whatever the fuck her name is. Stephanie, you know our neighbor that we thought was kind of a doofus and a douchebag and everything and like a hayseed or we don't know really what, what pejorative adjectives to ascribe to him, but just all negative ones. Uh, He kind of wrote a book that like the whole world is reading and seems like he might be kind of smart and we probably should have him on our team. Shit. But, since we've already announced to everyone in our little parties outside my window, I'm sure that, oh yeah, don't worry about him. He's We've defenestrated him. Hi, I'm Sam Harris. And if you see me outside your window, you can sort of roll back time chronologically, and I will very quickly be inside your window. And the kind of transition from me being inside and being outside is... My defenestration moments. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. My internet went out. No, okay, so I was reading. Okay, so, yeah, Kate, Kate, I'm in the club, Kate. You don't have to, uh, but like, I forgive you if you don't read your info at katecrawford.com email. But, uh, yeah, you should reply. Because you're going to bump into me at some cocktail party somewhere, and then where will we be? But I like your book very much, Kate. Uh, You wrote a good book. It's not as good as mine, but I shouldn't... I shouldn't be so... I shouldn't waste words. Because everybody already knew that. Um, but it's good though. Really it is. And when she what she does a good job of So, the Alice of AI, I'm going to describe her book as a primer for people to actually try to sell it because I actually do think that it's worth reading and I think it provide it shines some helpful light on the discussion the AI question today. So, one thing so what she does, her hook We all need hooks, and she has a good one. It's the Atlas of AI, and an atlas is... We all know what an atlas is. It's a kind of big map of the terrain. An atlas has maps in it, and it has all kinds of drill-down and blow-up and information and so on. Or is that an almanac? No, it's an atlas. Atlas. It's a map of the terrain. And so she provides this kind of map of... Contemporary AI, and I think it's good One of the reasons I think it's good is She looks at some issues that just never receive adequate attention Given the 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 all of the sundry and growing questions of social Importance about artificial intelligence, right broadly this umbrella term of AI. It's everywhere and there's just there's just this burgeoning this exploding list of questions that need to be asked and answered or at least discussed one of them is like the the energy consumption actually of that like ai has become data hungry and so we we think in terms of the concepts of big data ai and massive data sets and training gpt GPT-3 models and so on with you know 5 or 250 million parameters or whatever right we think of all the concepts of having like AI turning towards big data but we never actually understand what that means for the the actual hardware that has to run all this stuff right so it just turns out that there's just the the carbon footprint of artificial intelligence circa 2020 2021 which is her book came out, I think this year, actually, 2021, that the the carbon footprint is just gargantuan and it's grown by an order of magnitude or a couple of order of magnitude since just a decade ago, right? So the approach taken is connected to the energy consumption and the data driven AI, which has certainly dominated the field for the last decade and arguably longer really, but certainly for the last decade, it's been the only game in town that has just a massive carbon footprint. And there's just all these problems with this. It's not just the carbon footprint, which by the way, it's so like a day of running the servers that run, I don't know how she like separated AI from, you know, whatever. It's unclear it was a really pithy, it was a really punchy statement, but it's unclear what it means. Because it's like, well, what do you mean? Like what, like, what do you mean running all the AI? Like, what do you just mean like all the, just put all the computers together? But, and it was unclear like what the time constraint was, but basically the idea was something like, I think the statement was that the airline industry the, the carbon emissions of the entire aviation industry globally, worldwide, at its peak, which would be like during the summer months or something, is, is actually still less than the carbon footprint generated by the server farms that I think it's a, just like the big tech. It wasn't just like everybody's laptop and all that stuff. Like She's talking about actually powering server farms. And the server farms are pretty much exclusively the domain of, there is a pretty tight connection, actually, because all the server farms from Amazon and so on and so forth are all basically, you know, they're, nobody has a giant server farm unless you're a giant tech company. And all the big, in Baidu and in China and so on, and all those big tech companies actually are AI companies in the sense that, like, really what they're doing is running very compute-intensive algorithms 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a, a year so there is kind of a pretty good connection there actually and like yeah it's like just like we like we see the jets and the jet fuel and if you're in the airport you're like that smells like the planet doesn't want it and it's like yeah you're right but uh the server farms are actually more like they're just putting more shit in and we never see it right it's not part of the discussion and um the other thing is that there's all these rare minerals and lithium is one of them that need to be mined out of the earth and the extraction process is messy and it takes a lot of earth to get a little amount of these elements these minerals out of the earth and they're just these huge just pit mining operations going on. One of them's down in, I don't know, like Colombia or Peru or something. I think it's like Peru. It's some strange place, like down in South America. It might not be Peru, but it's definitely in South America because I remember thinking, really? Down there? Okay. And Bolivia, there we go, Bolivia. And and it's the, these extraction practices, they call them you know, blood you know, blood blood mining or whatever, because people kind of die. I mean, they're they're not good working conditions and the entire thing is exploitative from end to end. Like that's just the way they are. And try as everybody might, whatever the PR is, they remain that way because they're in that part of the world and there's a lot of money to be made and it's outside money and people just they're just it's blood, you know, like the movie Blood Diamond. This is like blood lithium. And, you know, you, I think there's a lot to that, right? Like, so she goes into some detail about how these extraction operations are, really do work. And it's just, you know, they're just, they're just dangerous, shitty places to work. And there's a lot of money on the line, but nobody makes it that works there. <laughs> Like no, it goes to Apple and whoever owns the companies. And so there's that. And they're just ruining. Like there's one in China that's so large. You can see it from like flying overhead. You're like, wow, what is that? That looks like an ugly scar on the planet earth for miles. And it's like, well, that's a, that's to keep your Apple iPhone rocking and rolling. Like that's actually what that is for. Right. Cause China, so in China, way out east in like Mongolia, near Mongolia, they have these huge extraction mines and their sole purpose is to basically build components for iPhones and so on. Their customers are like Samsung and, and Apple and so on for iPhone stuff. So there's, there's just these, well, lithium is one and then there's a couple other that I can't remember, but they just basically, you can't make this stuff without those rare minerals. Like you just can't do it there's no replacement right like there's just nothing you can well there's a replacement but then your phone would slow down to like the 1940s version that would compute like the answer you know to some math problem in four hours I mean (laughs) like yeah there's a replacement but it's nothing like what we're doing so there's that. It's like, we, we actually, like, and this cuts awkwardly across the grain of the tech industry that likes to portray itself as being exceedingly green. And in just in general, like, there, there's just this kind of progressivism that's assumed and kind of tacked on to, to a, you know, high tech and AI and that actually, like, it's very, it would be very embarrassing if people actually knew that just, just in sheer sort of climate change, environmental concerns, basic issues of worker safety, you know, these, these, these sort of blood, you know, blood extraction, like all just the stuff that nobody ever would want to talk about, just carbon footprint, right? Like, all that stuff is actually really bad and it's gotten really bad because of big tech and it's really driven. It's really is actually directly connected to AI and she gives an example of unfortunately in my field in NLP, which is very compute intensive. Um, the, like the amount, like if you look at one and again, she's not very good at bounding the problem, so You can see exactly, well, how does it, how exactly can you equate the one with the other? But, It's something like the amount of actual carbon emitted by one NLP model, which would be something like Facebook would use like some big model to, you know. It's unclear what she means by one big model. But what I assume she means is like, you know, like Facebook's news personalization machinery right like the AI the NLP that's behind all that classification of text that model actually puts out more and no shit like I look this is coming it's not not, I mean (laughs) this isn't coming from Greenpeace this is coming from Kate Crawford who I assume she did her homework when she wrote the book it puts out more uh, carbon emissions than 50 million cars Like one, like one, like the classification stuff that one of the big tech company runs is equivalent to adding 50 million cars driving around. But like I said, it's unclear. What do you mean 50 million cars during their lifetime? Are they driving around all day and all night? Like, but I think the point is, is just, it's an unbelievable amount of just fucking fumes, like carbon shit that's coming out because you know, the like at the end of the day, the computers are just running on the power grid right like the, the the computer servers and all that stuff they're not running on the AI is so smart but it's not smart enough to figure out how to put solar panels on everything and make them so you know so drastically more effective that we can do away with using carbon based fuels they're just running on the power grid like everything else and they're sucking massive amounts of power off the grid massive amounts and that stuff just is still coming largely from petroleum, right? Like from carbon-based fuel sources. So that's that's the problem. So that was one of the things that she brought up. Something a little bit, I mean, and that to me that was really interesting and it's not just because it's not it's not at all really because I want just ammunition per se, it's because I want to I want to make it I mean, I'll make no bones that I want to make a case against Big Tech. And one of the things I want to do is find where Big Tech is being just full of shit and hypocritical. And this is certainly a good point to press on. Um, You know, okay. So the other thing was, and there's a lot that we can say about all this stuff, but the other thing is just the extraction quality of AI is on the other side as well in terms of data. And that's something that, you know, Zuboff, covered really well with her surveillance capitalism, but just the, the, just the extract, like the data is just there, you know, wherever it can be found, it's there for the taking and it's there for producing profit. And the more the merrier, right? And so just kind of running roughshod over a whole plethora of humanistic notions, the most obvious one being just personal privacy um, and then her something that I had not really realized, but you can kind of see it in the ethos is that ImageNet is this now famous, uh, just many many multi million images originally collected from Flickr, the website Flickr, the social media website Flickr, and then you use. Using the taxonomic structure of WordNet on the back end, basically just classified, grouped all of these like tens of millions of photos on Flickr into this what's now called ImageNet and it's used for testing purposes in visual object object recognition and AI and it turns out that like the the, the classification system that is used oh my TV's back on. So, with that, I shall say adieu. <laughs> um. Well, it turns out it no, it just it turns out that there's just first of all there was just a bunch of stuff. I actually kind of liked it. There was like tosser was one of the was one of the classifications, like convict. And she no, but actually, like more seriously, Crawford does a really good job of explaining like. Visual stuff, like it's not even a visual clue that makes sense to say convict, right? If you're not in an actual jumpsuit, like an actual, I'm a convict because I'm wearing the clothes that somebody wears when they're incarcerated, right? Like it's not even clear that that's a, that's like a concept that can be imported into a visual determination, right? you know and i think like there were some other ones that were kind of vaguely funny although today we would say in substitute f- offensive for funny but like switch hitter and so on but that but she's making she's making a deeper point than just this kind of woke oh you know these words are offensive and which they can be, by the way, you know, like, I wouldn't want to show up like, Oh, I'm a convict. Fuck you. You know, like what, like, how do you, what, you know, what did it use to determine that? Um, so, so they certainly could be, but she's making a little bit of a actually a deeper point. She's saying that you can't even classify images that way. It's only this shallow kind of idea of Right, like it's only this idea that this data exists in these really, really neutral, uncontextualized frameworks, which is perfect for AI systems, that even that classification would even make remote sense, right? So this this kind of decontextualizing and simplifying information is part and parcel of how AI works, and it's also what drives these systems to show such weird bias. And she also makes a really, I think interesting case that some of the stuff that has been inculcated into quote unquote, modern AI classification approaches and strategies actually dates back to when we were like looking at skulls in the 19th century, right? Like in, in a way it's extremely retrograde treatment of observation. But it has this veneer of being, you know, being so being so cutting edge. See, now I think I made her point better than she made it. Although, in fairness, I think she made her point rather well. So I do think the book is worth reading, and I encourage everyone to, um, you know, to read it. And so I think that's it, because it would appear as if. It would appear as if I'm back in, uh, I'm back in business with my internet, although now it's too late to watch it. So that's another way of being defenestrated. Take care.